welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and as always I'm joined by my co-host Dilly Algema to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Um, yeah, I guess the best way to start off uh, the, the first episode of 2023 is to say, Es ist die erste Folge des Jahres, 2003 und 20. And so, frohes neues Jahr, um, Alam und, uh, yeah, frohes neues Jahr, Dilly. Frohes neues Jahr, Nick. Let's kick the podcast off in the right way for the first of uh, the new year with a question for you, Dilly. Mm-hmm. It's uh, relevant to the uh, new year. Because I'm going to ask you, do you have any New Year's resolutions? I didn't see that coming. Um. Ah, no. <laughs> it's not like I stole this idea from a thousand other podcasts. My New Year resolution is to get enough sleep. Okay. So, uh, eight hours. Have you been, have you, have you been burning the midnight oil partying? I, actually, I know I'm not even going to begin to pretend that that is exactly what you're doing. I know the sarcasm. I imagine you've, you've taken up like, um, nocturnal, uh, knitting that's what I was going to think you might do something like that making socks for your new uh, for the new member of your family or like making scarves or something like that for your uh, for your brother's new baby you make me sound like Jane Marple <laughs> hey there's worse people to be <laughs> Mrs. Marple if I'm right was a was an excellent detective as well as being a uh, a knitter a knitter so yeah, so how come you've been? Uh, how come you've not been going to bed if you haven't been knitting and partying? I'm one of those people who, when they know they have to wake up at a certain time in the morning, they keep thinking, oh, "Okay, if I sleep now, I have eight hours of sleep, and then you wait another hour. It's seven, six, and the countdown starts." I think it's popularly known as anxiety, and ah. and I'm trying to uh, yeah sleep more. As should everyone, particularly my boyfriend's neighbours. Bit of a bunch of parties, are they? They are very loud at 3 a.m. I've found that I don't need a lot of sleep, but I do need uninterrupted sleep. So um, I can sleep six hours as long as no one wakes me up. But if I sleep six hours with an interruption or two in between, I am ruined. And I think I'm I ruined in general. If it's Whether it's eight hours, six hours, nine hours, and I'm not getting uninterrupted sleep particularly at the moment and i won't do come may so <laughs> so um you, you won't do i won't get uh, uninterrupted sleep when it comes to the new baby coming in may oh, so. come may yeah, right. yeah yeah so um that's a good resolution is that the only resolution you have yes <laughs> look on your face was like have i forgotten something maybe i need to have a uh, another resolution no it's just rare that people only have one resolution i think that's a sensible way to, to do it uh, have one achievable goal for the year um i would have said that makes a lot of sense and it's one that will take care of other resolutions that i might not voice yeah like uh, going out and partying too late that'll be the other resolution that you could have <laughs> Sarcasm noted. <laughs> what are your resolutions, Nick? I don't know. I mean, I'm a little bit kind of, I don't have any trust for the idea of resolutions and the fact that they're so easily broken and it does require a lot of follow through to make resolutions work, which is why one resolution makes sense. Mm-hmm. I guess. Do you know what? I think I'd, I could be a bit nicer to people. <laughs> I think that's the truth. I don't think I'm always as nice as I could be. I think that's something um, that I've been thinking about. 
So that's something maybe just in general, just be generally more uh, conscientious. I think that's a good place to to be. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. There were some other ones. I was just thinking of general things that I could be, but not really. I don't have anything hard and fast. I'm perfect, Dilly, unless you... Unless you can think of something. No, you you really are perfect, aren't you? Good answer. Good answer, <laughs> Dilly. You get to stay for another episode. <laughs> so, yeah, it is the uh, the new year. And um, we have talked a little bit about resolutions that probably we're not going to keep and forget by next week. I maybe have to ask Dilly in two weeks if the resolutions are still running. But uh, there's been some other sort of stuff that's been going on. I, I did enjoy your note in the, the script for this episode, Dilly. I was wondering if you could read your little note about offering the the listeners Happy New Year's greetings. Could you read what you'd written? I will read my sincere notes, Nick. A Happy New Year to all, despite the very challenging outlook. May the hope that accompanies the dawn of a new year prevail. So much better than how I would have put it. Um, And of course, this being decades from home, I then had a sarcastic in brackets. Sounds very formal. Should I Is bow? Um, I, I, th- I thought it sounded quite formal. Do you not think, may the hope that accompanies the dawn of a new year prevail? It sounds very formal. And I was wondering, I was wondering, is that something that you say to people? Is it something you put into a greetings card? Do you think? I might. Um, I, I don't know if it's the time or the place to make a confession, if I may. Oh, no, it's always a time and a place to confess things on the podcast. <laughs> So in, uh, as a very fresh undergraduate, one professor took me aside and she said that my writing is very archaic and it broke my heart. And, um, and she said, I'm just trying to sound fancy and formal and that this is not necessary in academic writing. And then like a couple of weeks later, she takes me aside again and she says, you know, forget everything I said. I've listened to you and you sound like this too. It's not just your writing. I was like, well, thanks for that. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, Nick. <laughs> no, I, I don't apologize. I, I like it. I find that sometimes the more sincere sentiment is by using sort of more archaic. And archaic's quite a quite a judgy it's a um, very descriptor, isn't it? Like, I wouldn't say it's archaic. It sounded like something you would hear a Jane Austen character say. And that's why I was sort of, I enjoyed it so much. It felt like kind of that very, very formal, almost lyrical kind of sentiment. Like if I was getting a, a New Year's card from someone in the Victorian era, I might, it might be written in, in that way. I, was quite, I quite enjoyed that aspect of it. it. It felt like I was reading a classic novel. Um, so that's why I enjoyed it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, reading it over, um, I mean, I did grow up reading a lot of P.G. Woodhouse. and That'll do it. That'll do it. <laughs> so this is, this, this is something that Bertie would say to Jeeves, I think. I like the German sentiment, the Frohsneusjahr and um, Guten Roach. Mm. And Guten Roach is like the sliding into the new year. Mm. I quite like that sentiment. But it does become like a, it's like a kind of mantra that you utter through that week before New Year, mm-hmm. where everyone I'd see, whether it was a person at the checkout, a neighbor, a friend, a family member, whoever, like someone that I'd walked into accidentally and then helped pick up their shopping or whatever. It felt like all I was doing was going, Froh is nice, yeah, and then uh, Guten Roach, or like Danke Gleichfalls, because someone said Guten Roach to me. Mm-hmm. And so it was nice to hear a different way of, of sort of um, saying these things, because I only know really, you, you, do, you know, do you not find when, at least I do, my German has some limits to certain phrases, 
or that there's just certain phrases that everyone seems to use and there isn't much variance. So it's like, fro is noisier, fro weinachten. And it doesn't feel like, you're just sort of uttering these sentiments over and over mm. again, and it doesn't feel like there's much there's much difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so it, it just reminded me that there is there is other things that I could be saying. So yeah. it's quite nice. It's like we're collectively manifesting a good year as a nation. Is that what you think we're doing? I hope so. I hope that's what we're doing. I'm the hopeful person. Well, I guess we'll find out how much hope you have when we talk about our predictions for 2023. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, uh, some updates. I had my New Year's festivities Mm -hmm. and I had uh, a raclette for New Year's Eve. And I guess I should probably give you some kind of update on that. Please do. How did you like it? It was the best raclette I've ever eaten. I'll give you that. But whether it's a good exemplar of the average raclette that people eat, I don't really know. My friends, we changed venues. I thought we'd be the ones that were cooking. It turned out we were not. So I lost all control over the raclette making process. And it was my friends uh, and at their house. And they went all out and they had loads of different things, loads of different ingredients, lots of different ideas. Uh, It wasn't boring and there was lots of alcohol. So I was quite happy about the whole thing. Uh, I'm still not convinced (laughs) I regret. Uh, but all I could think when I was walking back to the car was, I am full. And that's something I said that it was impossible when you're eating raclette because there was so such small portions. But I'm not quite a convert. But maybe I'll I'll rethink my hatred of raclette uh, for another year at least until come New Year 2023. <laughs> Sounds like you had a marvellous time with raclette. It was okay. It was good. How about you? What did you do for your New Year's Eve? I slept in. I slept through the night. Oh, right. You went to bed early. No fireworks. 10 o'clock. Wow. Mm-hmm. Is that is that normal? Do you not really celebrate New Year? I celebrate New Year on the 1st of January. Like sensible people, Nick. At, you know, 9am, you wake up. Was there, was there a 9am on the 1st of January this year? I didn't... I honestly couldn't say that I noticed. <laughs> um... I mean, one of the things we did that was interesting, it was the first time last year, my daughter went to bed early. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year, uh, she stayed up till 12. And Aww. that was that was intense. So she slept for like four hours in the middle of the day. So she'd have the sort of energy because we were kind of of the mind. It's better if she like sleeps during the day and stays up and doesn't try and have a nap. And then we try and wake her up and take her back to our house. And she, she did really well. She didn't freak out or anything. She didn't have any mad moments. Um, and then she went to bed quite easy. But we all stayed in bed till about well, after 10. So like even my daughter was in bed till way after. Uh, and she was wrecked, totally wrecked. She was like, she never usually asks, but she was like, oh, daddy, can I go to bed now? <laughs> so it's like, yeah, no problem. That's absolutely no problem, kid. Because um, I, was, I was quite sick and really hungover which is not a combination that anyone really needs. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, was, it was quite funny seeing how she handled partying till the, the wee hours. Um, so, yeah, um, we did all the partying for you then, Dilly. You didn't really miss much. There wasn't that much excitement, I can possibly say. No, my boyfriend's neighbours would say otherwise, though. So I tried to sleep through the night. Ah, did they have a party? They did have a party. So I woke up, I think, around um, 12, 15, because the fireworks were loud. I must say, it's beautiful to see the fireworks. But, I mean, that much fireworks, the loudness and the litter, it's just not worth it. 
and uh, my boyfriend my lovely boyfriend had stayed up to wish people around the world well his acquaintances and friends a happy mm-hmm. new year but then yeah. he drank too much coffee and he couldn't sleep till 6 a.m <laughs> uh, i get i get that though i get that like feeling on new year's eve it's like it's different and i quite like staying up abnormally late on new year's eve i do that quite often i stay up to like 3 or 4 in the morning so i can understand that i can't this is why i like to sleep on time and and it's also my new year resolution i don't know why people do this to their bodies your body is your temple nick i'll be honest it's, it's so quiet it's so quiet that's really what it is but yeah no um i so i do i do get that and so you got woken up you got woken up by the fireworks and then i'm presume you got woken up by the neighbors too yeah <laughs> It was a conspiracy. Was it at least getting woken up by like decent music or was it no, like it was just oh loud God. laughter. Uh, collective laughter. Yeah, I bet the more discernible joke. You should, did you knock on the door just as the oven just go ha, 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 and there's <laughs> laughing their faces. You know what I did the next morning when I woke up? Uh, I made something called a uh, pulse ball. You have to pound it in a mortar and pestle made out of stone. All I right. did that in the kitchen. Uh-huh. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's uh that's certainly how you escalate things. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to kind of accept that New Year's a bit different, right? I mean, people are going to have parties and celebrations. Yeah. Uh, I would just like to sleep. That's that's a reasonable position to have. Thank you. <laughs> It's quite impressive that Dilly was only woken up by the fireworks on New Year's Eve. Uh, she certainly wasn't the only one to be woken up I imagine across the country as Germany went fireworks crazy as it tends to uh, turn 12 a.m on the 1st of January uh, yeah there was actually an escalation I think to a certain extent with the fireworks a lot of reports coming out of Berlin but other cities across the country with regards to escalations in the use of fireworks as weapons but also a, a lot of kind of tragic stories certainly of, of incidents of people buying illegal fireworks and causing themselves quite horrific and uh, long-lasting injuries and there's also been sadly it was the the death of a 17 year old as well um which begs us this this sort of question that I, i kind of asked in the blog at the weekend but also i kind of been asking myself for a few days now what the hell is wrong with germany when it comes to fireworks and so we're pulling some information from an article on uh, zdf entitled mit Berlin und Raketen entsetzen über Angriff auf Rettungskräfte and this is this question around whether it's not just a question about sort of banning fireworks this is more to do with the incidents of attacks on rescue workers but entailed in that is this larger question of does Germany ban fireworks or at least start putting in controls to deal with fireworks and the abuse of fireworks by individuals certainly on New Year's Eve So Dilly you said you were woken up by fireworks was it particularly crazy around your neck of the woods It was pretty um unpleasant um I mean the lights are very pretty to look at as long as you don't have to smell the uh, gunpowder is it gunpowder that they put in fireworks I'm It's not black powder I think black powder So uh, it doesn't smell very good and as a very committed ventilating person in Germany I couldn't ventilate that evening So you mean you couldn't open your windows No, I didn't open my windows, but and that says something because the noises 
it was very loud and i can only imagine like what was up with pets and mm. animals and birds outside and squirrels that that's really mean and awful and i think i saw on tiktok or twitter videos of people in berlin throwing fireworks yeah. at other people mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. do we need a ban to go there i, th- I mean phew, i find this such a repetitive and stupid discussion because it's so obvious that there's an issue mm. that needs to be addressed but like so many of these kind of personal freedoms question no politician wants to stick the neck out and say anything about it mm-hmm. um because it's it's hiding to nothing isn't it if you're telling the population you you're acting like idiots you need to stop it and i think at some point you, you do have to appreciate that the numbers of incidences and the people involved are a small number of the people who are letting off fireworks and 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 round my uh, neck of the woods and the people I saw letting off fireworks were doing them in as responsible a way as as possible what you were seeing in berlin is probably the most extreme examples mm-hmm. of of people actively using fireworks mm-hmm. as a weapon to attack Uh, first responders police and the fire brigade there's there's a series of videos that are doing the rounds on twitter and and most social media at the moment that are showing i'm not sure if it's from julian reichel the former disgraced editor of the bill zeitung who mm-hmm. uh, lost his job for having um essentially extorted sex from employees uh, by offering them promotions just so we know exactly where this guy is coming from. Mm-hmm. So Julian Reichel's got this YouTube video and I saw a lot of stuff with his brand and on it mm-hmm. showing footage of young uh, men specifically from Berlin mm-hmm. letting off fireworks and a lot of it were the distaste and comments seemed to be directed towards the fact that they were not white German men mm-hmm. and there was a lot of terminology and thought about oh the 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 question of integration came up like almost split seconds after those videos came up oh when you talk about integration for these people and lots of sort of pseudo and not so pseudo uh, anti um islamic sentiments and general sort of anti anyone who isn't a white man kind of sentiments that you'd expect just general kind of racism mm-hmm. flung in their direction and the thing that fucks me off so much about it is when i was in stuttgart when i've been to nuremberg city center when i've been to fert it's lots of white germans if we're going to play that game doing exactly the same shit maybe yeah. not setting police cars on fire but firing rockets at each other and actually if you look at the statistics we'll talk about in a minute um it isn't so much the overhyped images we're seeing in berlin it's the everyday kind of incidents that are quite shocking but yeah i mean like let's address like the, the sort of things as they go you talked a little bit about the the environmental impact uh, when i went out onto my street uh, yesterday morning um i was surely tempted to take photographs but i didn't because don't take photographs of your own street and post them on twitter right <laughs> um but all the way up the street was just boxes and litter yep. my neighbors had taken their stuff away they were good most of our neighbors did but there was just litter and detritus and fireworks up and down the street did you have the same in your street yeah um up and down my boyfriend's street just piles of boxes and this is not how i know my streets people might think that is really stupid but like when i was moving my daughter from the car to the house or because there were just fireworks intermittently going off all the way through the day on the um on on the 31st 
And when I moved my daughter, I had to put her in the car, take her out of the car, walk into the house. I just picked her up and carried her. And I had my back to the street. And I was just thinking really like carefully about what would happen if a firework kind of got anywhere near us because you've got, you've got no time to react. Basically, the, the, the thing that set me off was an article I'd read about how the two most likely um, types of people to be injured by fireworks are drunken men mm-hmm. on, the, on the day of um, New Year's Eve mm-hmm. or Sylvester, or uh, the second most likely group are young children the day after, and it's what they call the second wave. And that's from kids picking up fireworks that haven't gone off or finding fireworks and trying to set them off yeah. and doing all of this stuff which is for me just terrifying the idea that my daughter might pick something up off the street and it explodes in her face, like causing her life-changing injuries. I, I just, I, I can't even countenance that. Um, yeah. And so I was like, kind of doing that, but also for fear that a firework could come out from any angle, because it did feel like it was just increasing, increasing, increasing. And then I read th- what happened throughout the country. This isn't just in Berlin, it's across the country of different incidences and I don't feel so stupid. So I'll tell you some of the incidences and you can tell me what you think of them mm-hmm. there, Dilly. So we've got um, a couple of incidences to do with actual like, they don't say illegal fireworks, but they say fireworks that they bought off the internet, which I usually think is a euphemism for like fireworks that were bought from a different country. I don't know where they've bought them from, so I'm not going to potentially sort of suggest any places, but I know that's what people do. But there was an incident that ZDF reported on uh, which is quite shocking. This is in Turingia. It's a 42-year-old was so badly injured handling a firework that he bought off the internet that he had to have both his forearms amputated. I read that. So that's that's the first thing. And I, that's just that seems to me like an awareness issue. If people were more aware of the shit that they were buying and and more aware of the dangers, then then that might not happen. And it seems such an extreme situation. Um, this is the thing that really set me off. Two-year-old child, same age as my daughter, in North Rhine, Westphalia. He was on the street with his parents about midnight when a firework got into the child's hood, which is like, how does a firework find its way into a child's hood unless it's been like directed? Like they don't just, it doesn't just like wander down the street and find its way. Someone's thrown that at, at a group of people, clearly, right? And it exploded and burnt at the back of the kid's head which suggests it's a banger that someone's throwing. It's not like a bobby rocket or something like that. Um, We've got a 21-year-old who uh, tore off his hand, uh, again, using an illegal ball bomb. And then a 17-year-old who was so badly injured using fireworks that he died in hospital. Like, there's a kid who's fucking dead from fireworks. Mm. Like, that should be like a warning to everybody that there's a fucking issue. But apparently that's not really what the, the government's saying. I wouldn't expect someone to die on New Year's Eve because of fireworks, but I'm not not massively surprised. What what, what do you think? Are you surprised by any of those injuries or any of those stories? It's so distressing. I mean, people's lives have changed permanently for fireworks, for fun. Um, Yeah. I mean, one thing my boyfriend said when we were walking down the street the next day was that um, there were piles of boxes um, everywhere. There was a lot of litter and I was like, can't people even clean up after themselves? And he said, actually, they shouldn't, because exactly as you said, there might be fireworks that hadn't gone off, and you don't want to touch that. And we have mm. special people who are trained in this uh, that come the next day and clean the fireworks off the streets. I mean, we mm. are spending on the consequence 
and we don't want to do anything to not get there that seems seems ridiculous it is <laughs> i mean who do we talk to about this well it seems like if you can have a national campaign to get everyone vaccinated and bring in celebrities and david hasselhoff from his uh, mansion in la to promote vaccinations that you could probably think of something similar as a nationwide campaign in the run up to new year that would the ones that I remember as a kid were brutal. They showed you the injuries. They showed you exactly what happened. They were like, there was no holes barred. It was horrific. And I tell you what, I don't fuck with fireworks whatsoever. No. I'd never dream of throwing them at anyone. And I think there's a whole generation of British kids that do feel the same way and have actually kind of instilled that in their children too. And I think it's something that you can do in the run-up. Just be bold about it. Like, this is what happens. This is what happens to your hands when a firework explodes. Like, that's what your hand looks like now. you got no fingers left. Is that what you want for your kids? Like, this is the kind of injuries. Like, an interview with a, an A&E doctor in Berlin would be sorely needed just to shock people into realising, like, fireworks are actually dangerous um, things and they're not kind of kids' toys. And, yep. and not trying to sidetrack the discussion by going... Oh, migrants did it. Some migrants in Berlin, they were the ones who did it. It's like, nah, it's all across the country. But do you think like, something like a national campaign would be helpful? Or do you think I'm barking up the wrong tree? Should we just ban them? I think people should be educated on what the consequences are. And I would be very happy to appear on any advertisement that says, Hi, I'm Dilin Yagam. I don't even use a pressure cooker. And I am very careful with gas stoves when I have to use them. Please don't use fireworks. I'm, I'd be very happy to say that. I don't want to ban them. I think banning them is, is pointless. Isn't that how we got here? Well, I think as soon as you ban them, then people just start buying them off the internet. And look what happens when you do that. Yeah. I don't think you can ban them. Really, I don't think you can say, like, no one can have them. Even when we had the pandemic and the places that sold them were closed, people were still had fireworks. So, I mean, it's kind of pointless. But I do think some kind of attempt at educating the population onto the dangers would be surely helpful. But do you, I mean, are you saying you'd be happy to have some kind of ban? Do you think that would be effective? I mean, it's pretty visible. I mean, when you use banned substances, the the idea mm. is secrecy. But if you use yeah, banned fireworks, yeah, yeah. you'd be found out. <laughs> Can you, like, it does, <laughs> like when you smoke in a joint, it doesn't explode and tell yeah. everybody where you are. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> to it, point. it's pointless, right, to use banned fireworks if no one else is using them. Like I do that. He's smoking drugs and he just he smoke he's smoking a spliff and he just goes and every uh, periodically just shouts weed really loud. It's like, oh no. Shut up. Shush shush. Someone will tell someone will call the police. Big flames in the sky and <laughs> just go, Weed Oh no. Uh yeah. I think unlikely that we'll get a ban and I, I think but even it seems like even the government is reticent to do anything about it. I think it's one of those things where they go, oh, it's the it's a state problem. Get the states to deal with it. We've got too much to do, you know, whereas I think a little bit of... Ultimate federalism. Yeah, exactly. I think a, national, a bit of national sentiment would be quite useful at this point. But we'll see. We'll see. Fingers crossed, Nick. <laughs> There's that optimistic spirit there, Dilly. On to some very good news. Something that's caught my interest today is that uh, the State Secretary of Berlin, Saraya Gomez, wants to return the bust of Nefertiti to Egypt and the Pergamon altar to Turkey. This is so interesting because no one's asked back for these. 
and the decision or the sentiment of returning something has come from germany uh, you know within germany itself i find this very interesting so the bust of nefertiti is at the neues museum or the neues museum in berlin and the pergamon altar is at the pergamon uh, museum and they're both in berlin so this is interesting to me for a second reason we've already sp- uh, spoken about this in our 104th episode so in berlin they are changing uh, street names um so that we don't have uh, street names that are legacies of colonizers and uh, people who carried out uh, vicious atrocities against people in africa which is a history that germany has to contend with and um, people struggled for over 20 years to have these street signs uh, changed so it feels like there is a second victory in the sites at um, when we are at least talking about this and uh, nick so is it something that you knew what what is your response i mean it's good right it's good that they're talking about and not through pressure or external pressure that they're thinking and deciding mm-hmm. to return objects to their origin countries i can't say that i'm massively aware of of the objects i know the pergamon altar through sort of its status rather than having seen it myself mm-hmm. I, i know the bust of nefertiti because it's it's a really really famous mm-hmm. object and again it's something that i think those egyptian objects are some of the most storied objects mm-hmm. and the ones in in museums across Europe are some of the most storied objects and a, a vast amount of them were acquired with less than ethical means mm-hmm. so i think that makes a lot of sense and i think it's just a it's a step in the right direction i think this is something that has come on the instigation of Annalena Baerbock and her kind of push to build connections and and do the job of a of a foreign secretary that mm-hmm. building connections with other countries and and certainly the connections between african nations and turkey um in this case with turkey and egypt but i think it was the in nigeria was where they mm-hmm. were sending back the the bronzes before christmas i think this is always these are always good i think it's a good signal it's a good mm-hmm. sign i can't see any any particular negatives about it I, i'm guessing you feel the same way i do feel the same way and i also want to keep an eye on saraya gomez so these uh, these uh, staat sekretarin für vielfalt und antidiskriminierung so in mm-hmm. english that would be the uh, state secretary for diversity and antidiscrimination um i'm very happy to have someone like that in uh, in a position like that and i do wonder though i mean what sort of feedback she must be getting when she proposes something like that i mean we can guess right yeah <laughs> it's it's not going to be it's not going to be good yeah. i'll be honest yeah. i can imagine i'll be surprised if she has a twitter account <laughs> i know there's a lot of backlash in britain and america about the idea of having diversity czars or diversity um heads of diversity within companies and things like that mm-hmm. but i do think it's something that you need some kind of guidance and having someone in the room who's thinking about those topics is really really important how happy that makes people well i, i don't i don't really care too much about people who think that having a 360 degree perspective on 
on mm-hmm. the decisions that we make is a is a bad thing. I don't know how that's a bad thing. It doesn't necessarily mean that her voice is the strongest or most important to listen to, yeah. but it needs to be in the room. And yeah. I don't see a problem with that. Yeah. Particularly, I think more and more places, more and more companies, more and more governments are considering that. So yeah. that makes sense. And it looks like it's made sense here. Yep. You are right about governments. Nick, can I interest you in some uh, interesting news? Uh, does the word Cumbergate mean anything to you? <laughs> yeah, so we're, I guess we're, we're moving from talking about people voluntarily repaying their debts mm-hmm. to um, mm-hmm. perhaps people being forced to repay their debts. Having their arms were. twisted. Perhaps, yeah. So as far as I understand this story, that and it doesn't surprise me right yeah when i talk to my students about privilege and i talk to them about this is something that's been like mid-level going on in in, over the last year or two in in britain this question of how come there's so few working class actors out there how come there's all the actors in britain seem to be sort of posh Mm. upper middle class types like eddie redmayne and benedict cumberbatch and I use Benedict Cumberbatch as an example. I, I kind of like his acting. Do think he's a little bit overrated, but um, I do like his acting, and he's very famous. But he's my archetype for the upper middle class posh actor mm-hmm. that seems to England seems to do very well at producing. And and it was no surprise to learn that how upper class and posh he was, that his descendants had actually been slave owners in Barbados, um, which again doesn't seem to surprise me that much. So I'm guessing. Cumbergate, as I think you said, has something to do with Benedict Cumberbatch and his relatives who owned land in Barbados. You are right. So uh, Cumbergate is where Benedict Cumberbatch's family might be asked to pay back uh, reparations uh, to the government of Barbados. Um, It turns out that uh, his family had an estate uh, in Barbados and they had slaves it also turns out that the government of England has been paying back institutions for the end of slavery. And institutions, and particularly families then, got huge amounts of money from the 1800s to 2015. And that is extremely recent when one thinks about it. Do you know what's even wilder than that, though? Mm-hmm. So the British government in 2015 celebrated the fact that they had finished paying off that debt. So there was like a, a lot of government accounts on Twitter were saying like, Britain ended slavery and we finished paying off the debt that we accrued through uh, ending slavery. And actually the British government accrued that debt because they gave slave owners a compensation for the loss of property, the property being human beings. And so in the 1830s, the British government, I think it was added 20, at the time it was 20 million onto the national debt, which was like, I think it's like 20 billion, basically, that they added to the national debt, paying off former slave owners. Slaves got no money. The <laughs> like, slaves they didn't got get no money. money. Yeah, yeah, but the slave owners did, and they celebrated this in 2015. Someone asked me, so like, I mean, what are these people supposed to do now? It's not their fault. Uh, they're not, they didn't have a hand in their ancestors actually having slaves. But the point is that the the descendants of people that were enslaved, I mean, had their lives changed. I mean, their life trajectory uh, is dependent on what happened to their 
ancestors and the people who did have slaves then got this money and that gives them family money and that also carved out their path in life well, i mean it's a you got to be careful with that that kind of perspective because like you kind of you're doing it's two plus two equals five isn't it it's like well benedict cumberbatch would only be in the position he's in because his family owned slaves. There's not a linear through line mm. to that narrative. And I feel like that makes me feel deeply uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, if you look at the people who owned land in Jamaica, Barbados, the West Indies, the Caribbean islands, and you look at the people, their descendants, a lot of them are very wealthy people. Mm. There's not a lot of them who were like, ah, oh, great uncle, so-and-so lost all our slave money in 1890 and we've been impoverished since. Like, it's not, that's not the story for a lot of these people. I'll give you a prime example of a guy who is in, is an MP mm. in the House of Commons now. Yep. His name's Richard Drax. He still owns land in Jamaica and uh, his uh, family owned a, an estate in Jamaica, owned slaves in Jamaica, made a lot of money through slavery and it was kind of notorious this plantation for its its brutality really and the members of the drax family received in compensation when slave trade was the slave trade was finally abolished in 1833 and they were awarded 4293 pounds 12 shillings and sixpence mm. which is worth 3 million today and that was for 189 slaves and I kind of, my feeling is if your name is on that compensation mm -hmm. letter and you're significantly wealthy today, as much as I'm not really a fan of the idea of reparations, I kind of feel you owe that money back. This Lord Drax in particular has 3 million. He's a, one of the wealthiest MPs. Mm -hmm. That could be something he could do and it would be a very small gesture for a very wealthy man. Yeah. I don't know how much they're asking from Benedict Cumberbatch's family, but he's also a very, very wealthy man mm -hmm. who could probably, if his name, his family name is on that document, that's something to certainly think about. But I think the idea of reparations isn't from nations, I don't know if that's something that I really agree with. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I think there is a lot to be unpacked there, starting with returning actual physical things that were taken from countries that could be part of it. And I think um, that is something I found interesting in, uh, in the proposal of uh, Soraya Gomez. We return actual things. I think that could be something that is uncomplicated. As for reparations, again, I mean, we have several countries that behave similarly. There is also France, right, that uh, paid compensation to slave owners. They could have a collective union. I can't see it happening particularly in France, uh, having a government that's assaulted on all sides and directly assaulted by the right wing are going to do something like that. I just can't see it politically how that would play out. I can't see it in Britain at the moment. I could see Britain maybe with a Labour government thinking about it, potentially, maybe. I think mm -hmm. Britain's got a long way before it can ever come to a discussion about it. I think the conversation about returning stuff from the British Museum is one that's pertinent and important to have. But I think that's a step you need to take once you've reckoned with the larger issue. Like you can't pay reparations or give stuff back and still have the attitude 
that you're the most powerful country in the world, which is Britain's attitude. And you look at its dynamic within the Commonwealth. The Commonwealth is meant to be this collection of nations that's set up as a, not a replacement for the empire, but a way of bringing the former colonies of the empire together with Britain and look at the way it fucking acts. Um, if I was Barbados, I would be going after, of course I'd be going after Benedict Cumberbatch. They just had one of the most, the largest, most failed examples of, of royal initiative um, last March, I think it was, when William and, and Catherine mm. turned up in Barbados and it was just a fucking disaster it from was. start to finish. And they looked ridiculous. And it was, I remember uh, there's a photo of them in their Land Rover, him in his white suit and her in a white dress. And then there was a, a picture from 1950 something yeah. with the, the Queen and Prince Philip. And I was just like, oh, like you, it's the same mentality. You can't act like that anymore. And I think that's the problem is Britain needs to reckon with its history before it can actually make up or do anything to sort of resolve it or rebuild those bridges. It has to accept that it's not the most important nation. And I don't think it's actually a place where it can ever have that. Or in this moment in time is in a place where it can have that discussion with itself because it's just too, it's too divided. I'd like to hope that maybe that would be something, but I don't necessarily think that's paying massive amounts of money to other countries mm -hmm. but i think your step of like simple stuff you know like peace and reconciliation commissions having those kind of those ways where we can discuss this history and what it means to us and what it means to the future of britain bringing in those people who've had direct impact with it and, and sort of getting getting those ideas again returning items is a good a good thing I think there's also investment that could go into countries making commitments to invest and and improve areas. There is still a, a, something that can be done in that respect. But when it comes to individuals, though, I don't know what you do about it, really. I think it's on the individual. I don't think you can legislate and go like, well, your ancestors did this. Like, how far do we go back? Like... My family has lived in the northeast of England for a very long time. Do I start demanding reparations from people who maybe attacked my family across the Scottish border? You know, I mean, there's a, like, like, at what point do you draw a line? And I mm -hmm. think that's something that is used by opponents of these ideas to kind of muddy the water. But I do think there is like, you can't, we can have that discussion as a nation. You as an individual have to decide. I think that's how I'd put it because mm -hmm. I do think there's a time limit on these things. And I find it interesting speaking to German people about it because that question of what responsibility do you bear for the actions of your ancestors is something that's in the forefront of a lot of young German minds, even today. And I think it changes with each generation. But I think that kind of sense of understanding what happened in the past but not wanting to it to repeat is something that's worthwhile considering, but I don't expect a young German person that I'm teaching to come up to me afterwards and go, oh, I'm really sorry for bombing Coventry to flat, you know. It's not their fault, you know. I mean, what their great-grandparents did, there's no, no bearing on my relationship with them. So I think we have to think carefully about those dynamics. And just because, and this is something that I struggle with all the time, just because someone's posh doesn't mean they're an arsehole. That's an that's an interesting saying. <laughs> it's not a saying. It's just something I <laughs> that's something I have to keep reminding myself about. 
One thing though, like um, I've had these like living room discussions with people, and uh, when you when they know you're from South Asia, and uh, we kind of like come to this, so you know museums and artifacts, and something that breaks my heart and makes me laugh at the same time is people going, but aren't they protected in our museums? Um, look at these people. I mean, they, they wouldn't know the value of it. You know, ma'am, we have we have museums, you know. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> and you kind of have to sit on your hands so that you don't like slap someone in a living room over Christmas dinner. There is that almost imperialist view of like, well, it's safer with us. Mm. And I'm like, I don't know how true that is. And no. ultimately, it's not really our decision to make at all i think it's not our stuff no and we don't get to make that decision for other people no but until there's a a shift in the dynamic and hopefully this will be one of the many because i think it takes many steps to get there yeah more countries doing stuff like this will be will be ultimately be a positive and starting with the discourse and even discussions around it i think that's a healthy thing to have Mm -hmm. that's it ultimately i think you have it's an ongoing discussion i think a lot of people think it's a zero-sum game or somehow one discussion and then it's over one big debate and it's over this is something we have to contend with over over decades because we've only just started really addressing it something that i think will change in a positive way over the next few decades but we'll we'll just have to we'll just have to wait and see. We'll probably be talking about this again next year. <laughs> in fifteen years. Oh God, I hope not. If we're doing this in fifteen years, though, hey, well done us. <laughs> Yay us. <laughs> So, dear listener, before we finish the podcast, we thought we'd leave you with some uh, some of our predictions for the next twelve months. I'm always a bit wary about making predictions. I had a lecturer at university who said that predicting the future was a, a game for idiots, and I have that ringing in my ears as I make <laughs> these predictions. So, expect uh, a lot of mitigation and caveats as we go into our predictions for 2023. We've got four categories we've got politics food and drink which i think is a bit of an odd one i'm not sure what we predict about food and drink but we're gonna get there uh, we've got entertainment and finally sport so uh let's kick off with our predictions for politics in 2023 what do you think will happen politically dilly in 2023 i'm going to take off with the wisdom that you just shared of your former lecturer and i'm going to hedge uh I, I I want to see Annalena Baerbock doing something, I mean, uh, rising in power, doing something even more important than what she does now. I still haven't forgiven uh, the Greens for throwing her under the bus when their campaign was uh, had her as the poster girl. But they threw her under the bus when they won. So I want to see Annalena Baerbock and her talents being used to the fullest. That's hope as well as prediction. Yeah, she's. I, I could see that being the case. She's definitely been busy through her first year as uh, Foreign Secretary, but I do think uh, she's also sensibly kind of kept out of the headlines. Mm-hmm. I think that's been a careful management. Uh, and her profile, I, I think she's had a lot of success. I think she's done very well. I could, see, I could certainly see that happening. I had a look through what, is coming up politically this year and there's a lot of different things that we could hang our hats on very early on coming march and may we've got the gas and electricity 
uh, price break that's going to occur, I think, uh, retroactive from January, and that'll be March 1st. So uh, something like that could be worth thinking about. So that'll be the the strong price bremser. You've got things like the atomic plants are shutting down uh, that they discussed before December, and uh, they will go into... Um, or the last three active nuclear power plants going to go offline on April 15th. So that could be something we could talk about potentially. Uh, and you've also got the Reichsberger are going up on trial in the summer. So that's something, these are like sort of things that we that we can imagine there'll be a lot of discussion about. There's a couple of anniversaries as well. There's the uh, February, uh, there's the 80th anniversary of the death of the members of the, the, the resistance group, the White Rose, who were the, like the only resistance group uh, during the National Socialist era. So again, I imagine there'll be a lot of discussions about the meaning behind that. Personally, though, I'm going to head towards an election that's coming up in Bavaria. Among others, we've got uh, an election in Bremen, Hesse and Bavaria. My prediction is similar to yours. It's going to be, I feel like the Greens are going to gain a lot in the Bavarian elections. I don't think they're going to win the state or anything like that. I think it's going to be there's going to be a lot of damage done to the CSU. I'm slightly optimistic that we'll see the current minister president, Marcus Söder, maybe having to possibly resign. I think they're going to have a really bad election year. I think the strategy is poor. I think the CDU has done badly through 2022. And so my prediction is the Greens will do really well in Bavaria. It'll do damage to Marcus Söder. Uh, and um, it'll be mostly on the back of young voters voting for the Greens. That would be my prediction, which isn't doesn't sound that exciting, but actually when you think about the state of Bavaria, it could be quite dramatic. So um, I'm hanging my hat on that. We'll wait and see um, how that pans out. I will be asking you, Nick. Yeah, I feel like I've made a really big, bold move there, and it could <laughs> just blow up my face. Uh, let's hope it doesn't. Mm. Okay, uh, moving on, food and drink. Do you have any predictions for food trends or drink trends or any of those sorts of trends or anything exciting that you're looking forward to food and drink-wise in 2023? I've been watching jackfruit become the new pulled pork and we had persimmon becoming the new avocado. Indeed. Although not, not with the same price tag, thankfully. And I think we are going to be surprised by some kind of uh, fruit or vegetable that's going to take the place this year. Oh, so you think it's going to be like a new fruit or vegetable? Mm-hmm. A superfood, something something Asian or something from, yeah, something that is not grown in Germany. I looked at American food trends because mm-hmm. that's usually what I'd expect to see. What I kind of see in American food trends is a lot of the trends that entered the sort of like poke bowls and and kind of mm-hmm. um, um, more vegan variations mm-hmm. and certainly pulled pork is a big one that we've had for a few years. Mm-hmm. I think they've got all these like food trends and food like variations. Mm-hmm. What I'm kind of expecting to see is more variations on the variations as it were. So whether that's domestically people doing weird things with different kinds of food, whether that's vegan food or whether that's kind of um, American food or whether that's making German food in a style that's come from another country, whether that's some kind of um, 
maybe using more climate conscious ingredients or maybe using certain flavors that you wouldn't expect or or whatever so that's the kind of thing i'm expecting is that like w- w- they'll move from just all oh, right we sell mm-hmm. poke bowls to like now we've got a schwabischer poke bowl or maybe we've got like a a vegan answer to schnitzel or something like that you know what i mean mm-hmm. I, I can't, that's what i'm kind of thinking i would though add to that i think uh, because we are all expecting uh, huge uh, electricity bills this year I think I'm going to see a rise in uh, the sales of uh, rotisserie chicken. Interesting. Off the van. Mm-hmm. I am a fan, a new fan. I hadn't actually had that too many times before. Mm-hmm. But it's very versatile. It's cooked and in comparison to not cooked chicken, I think it's it should be affordable to most people. Mm-hmm. Like five euros for a whole roast chicken. You have those rotisserie vans, don't you? I have one that's knocking around on a on a, a sort of wednesday yeah yeah it parks up on the main street so i could see that being a mm-hmm. big thing for sure okay so uh we've talked food we've talked politics let's get on to entertainment do you have any entertainment predictions there dilly anything you're looking forward to maybe or think will be good uh value entertainment in 2023 i think netflix is on its way out oh bold <laughs> yeah no i could i could see that i've heard bad things I've I've read some bad things about a Netflix ending uh, series uh, without airing all the seasons, just stopping on a cliffhanger. And um, I can see why people would move away. Yeah, I think I read somewhere that they're, they're predicted to lose 700,000 viewers in, in the UK alone. I can see that as a lot of competition across those um, streaming services. Um I think it's in quite rude health, isn't it? I mean, like, book sales are quite good. Uh, generally, newspaper sales are, are dropping, but still not as much as other countries. Um, Film-wise, I mean, I was looking at the German films, there's nothing that really stands out. I noticed as well, I think, uh, the most recent German production, is it 1899? The sci-fi show, that got cancelled on yes, Netflix. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to be renewed for two, a second or third season. So that's not great news for the German movie industry and i'm not sure if uh, german actor director producer uh, the only actor in germany matthias schwieghofer is producing anything this year perhaps he is uh, which which he, he might be the the savior of the german film industry if he happens to be making a film um this year because it usually um he's the one that keeps the uh the light on as it were <laughs> For the German film industry, I don't think he's actually making a film this year, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, which is a shame. So uh, my prediction is going to be based on the U.S. film industry, and it's going to be that Indiana Jones Five is coming out, and it's probably going to be kind of disappointing. Okay, <laughs> that's gonna, I'll hold you to that. That'll be my prediction. <laughs> my prediction. Um, I think that's a bit fish and fish in the barrel uh, type prediction making, but yeah, what are you going to do? And finally, we have Dilly's favourite topic, which is, of course, sports. So, Dilly, what is your sports prediction for 2023? I, I think you're breaking up there, Nick. <laughs> I said, I said, <laughs> Dilly, I said, what's your sports prediction for 2023? <laughs> I don't think the internet is that good in Bavaria. Is that is that you tacitly saying you don't have a sports prediction for 2023? I do not have a sports prediction, Nick. It's a shame. What have you? Oh, uh, I'm wary of predicting results of football, but I could see England winning the uh, Women's World Cup. 
um, and I'd be very happy for them to do so. I think it was beautiful watching them win the European Championships and I hope they can mm -hmm. do it again uh, and win the World Cup. That would be a real massive moment for, for women's football and football in general. So that yeah. would be great. Uh, here's a prediction that uh, we can only find out this time next year. Um, this time next year, Newcastle United will be first in the Premier League. That's my prediction. So we'll see if that one comes true. But that's all my sports predictions. The last ones are rather more hopeful than it is than it is a, an actual belief. But we'll see. We'll see. Uh-huh. <laughs> that brings us to the end of the show. I am going to plan a complex break-in of the British Museum and return all those bloody objects they nicked from around the world. I do hope you let me join in. <laughs> Uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way as well. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag DecadesFromHome, or lowercase, on Twitter or Instagram. You can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com slash DecadesFromHome and contributing to keep this boat afloat. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dilly on at Dillini Algama, and you can also tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on decadesfromhome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks, and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss. Tschüss.